So what you're about to hear is the word of God from Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and him, and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Here ends God's word for, our, for this hour. And may the Holy Spirit apply it to all of our hearts. When was the last time you were tempted? <laughs> when was the last time you were tempted to say something you shouldn't have said? Or to do something you shouldn't have done? Or to eat something you shouldn't have eaten? <laughs> Too much ice cream after a service. Um, we are all being subject to temptation all the time. Children are tempted to cheat on a test in school. And adults are tempted to cheat on a business deal. We're tempted to cheat, steal candy from a stand in the, in the grocery store but also to keep our neighbor's tools that we bought, borrowed two years ago and haven't turned them back yet. We're tempted to lie, to cheat, to steal. We're tempted to be lazy, selfish, hateful, <coughs> jealousy. Even in church, we're subject to temptation. Uh, some were tempted when they saw the black clouds in the west not to come. You didn't submit to that temptation, okay? You're here. But even here, you, you're still su subject to temptation, tempted to not be involved, not to sing when we should be singing and pray when we're praying. Let our minds wander. We're tempted under all circumstances. No wonder Jesus, in his great prayer that he taught his disciples and us to pray included this phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Jesus wants us to pray to be relieved from the demonic power of temptation. Now, our Lord Jesus lived a perfect life. And part of that perfect life was to be victorious over temptation. You know, we often focus on the cross, and rightly so. Evangelical churches always do. They have one in the front, don't they? The cross, where Jesus died, it took the penalty for our, our sins. But you know, Jesus lived for our salvation, too. Romans 5, verse 10. I shouldn't always um, expect my memory, but I think it's Romans 5, verse 10 says, we are saved by his life. You see, if Jesus had not lived a perfect life, then his death would not have been meritorious for us. He would have had to die for himself, for his own sinfulness. We are saved by his life. So when, the, when Jesus is faced with demonic temptation, when we see his victory, we see our victory. Now in the bulletin I put Jesus' victory over temptation. I, I was tempted to add that. Jesus' victory over temptation is our victory too, okay? So let's look at Christ's victory over temptation. Would you please put the title up on the screen, if you would? Um, we'll notice, first of all, a very difficult setting. This was very early in Jesus' ministry. Before he had healed the sick, before he had raised the dead, before he had cured the leper, Jesus was tempted by the, the devil. And beginnings are always difficult, you know. It's much easier to give in when we're beginning a project because we're at the point of whether we have the sufficient resources and the like. So Jesus, in, at this very early point in his ministry, is, in, is tempted by the devil. Secondly, he was also near physical collapse. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. More than a month. Can you imagine that? In the prolonged desert exposure of Judea, of the Judean wilderness. Not only so, but he was tempted by the devil the entire 40 days. We know that because when you read something in the original, you sometimes get a, get a hint that the translation doesn't give us. Uh, this passage suggests three temptations. But if we read in the very first verse, the second verse, where for 40 days he was tempted, some of the translations use the words, was being tempted, tempted, because it's a verb form that suggests continuing action. The whole 40 days, Jesus is subjected to demonic temptation. And yet he was victorious, which brings us to our second point already. Uh, it's threefold accomplishment. First, it's difficult setting. Secondly, it's threefold accomplishment. Now, if Jesus was tempted all 40 days, then he must have been tempted in a great variety of, 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 of manners. Why these three? 
Why does the Holy Spirit want us to know about these three temptations? It's the same three. They're in a different order, but the same three in Matthew. I, that's a legitimate question, isn't it? And I wrestled with that a bit. And believe it or not, a little book called Pilgrim's Progress, which used to be a big fat book, it was very, at one point, uh, 100 or 150 or so years ago, it was the second largest seller of a book in all the world, only the Bible exceeded it. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress gave me an insight that I think is really biblical. Because Pilgrim's Progress, yes, the Pilgrim's Progress, the story of a Christian life and the joys as well as the challenges of the Christian life, that's what Pilgrim's Progress is all about. That book mentions that there's a, a, a psychological reason for the devil approaching us in a variety of ways, three specifically. <clears throat> the reference is to 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16, where we read, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Of course, remember, the term world in the Bible sometimes refers to God's creation. It never says reject that. But sometimes it means worldly or worldliness, and that's not what it means in 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things of the world. And then it goes on to tell us what those things are. And they are three. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is of the world. Did you hear that? The lust of the flesh, fleshly lust, visual lust, and prideful lust. Well, isn't that exactly what we have in this passage? The devil first appeals to Jesus to ask him to turn stones into bread. Physical lust. You see, lust is destructive inordinate desire. Lust is something you, you crave and if you get it, it'll destroy you. And John the Apostle says that there are three times of these of this destructive craving. Fleshly lust, visual lust, and prideful lust. Briefly, physical lust is obvious. Cravings of the flesh, all addictions, drug addiction, alcoholic addiction, addiction to too much foods that can destroy us, the wrong kinds of foods, uh, fall into this category. I was reading just this past week in World Magazine. World Magazine is the uh, weekly magazine published by the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America conservative reform denomination. And uh, there was an article in, which was startling on drug addiction. And it mentioned that there are more people who, who lose their lives each year in America from overdoses of drugs, varieties of drugs, infantile, heroin, and other than, our, than the lives that are lost on traffic accidents, which is serious enough. Over 30,000 people a year 
die from drug overdoses. And of course, the devil knows how weak we are in our fleshly desires. And so he, he tests Jesus at this point. Jesus did not submit. The second of the, these destructive spiritual desires that the Apostle John mentions is visual lust, the lust of the eye. Pornographic magazines are the number one sold magazines in this country. Now, that may not be so obvious to you because you're not interested in them. But if you've been in the military, as I have, you know that they're all over the place. As a matter of fact, I was in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, Marine Corps base, many, many years ago, and walked into the, the exchange one day and I noticed that Playboy magazine was piled on the floor near in the magazine section. There was place on the shelves for pocket mechanics and Reader's Digest and all these others. They didn't bother to put them on the shelf because once a month it came in and it was gone by nightfall. Pornographic magazines, nudity and TV and these kinds of magazines are so common. Marriage infidelity, huh? How often someone has forsaken his or her vows because somebody else looked so good. The devil knows how weak we are. And it's not just in the sexual area either, you know. The glitter of material things sometimes recklessly purchased can destroy budgets and destroy relationships in a home. And you know what they are. Their new home, cell phones. Their widescreen TVs and motorized RVs. Their motorboats and sport coats. And you know how much we desire some of these material matters. The devil knows how visually tempted we are. And so he approached Jesus and he, he said, look Jesus, he took him to a high place. It, it, it says, doesn't it? And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Kingdom means power centers. Jesus, look at all these power centers. If you will submit to me, then you can have an influence on all of these power centers. Must have looked so good. Because, you know, then Jesus could have, could have avoided the cross and still do some good in this world. But Jesus saw through it. He said, no, that will not be the desire that will destroy my ministry. So the devil tries his third strategy. Since the lust of the flesh didn't work, the lust of the eye, he will try prideful lust. And he positions Jesus at the pinnacle of the temple, probably the wall around the temple square on the corner of which Jesus could stand and tempts Jesus to jump. Because after all, doesn't the Bible say his angels will swoop him up and he won't, he won't break an ankle. And he would become a celebrity. Because everybody was milling around the temple square all the time and they would say, yay Jesus. No, 
Jesus did not submit, did not fall for this temptation. You see, Jesus endured. Jesus was victorious. And we read that the devil goes away, departs him. Didn't give up because until a later time, the scripture said, then the devil will be back. His strategy always worked with everybody else. My, it surely worked in the Garden of Eden. Uh, listen to Genesis 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, turn this stone into bread. Satisfy your physical desires. Do something nice for yourself once, Jesus. Jesus never used his miracle power for his own advantage. After miracles, we, we almost always read, and the people came to believe on him there. This was a his miracles were demonstration of the kingdom and not for his own value, benefit. Not so in the Garden of Eden. They saw that the tree was good for food. And that it was a delight to the eyes. It's right there. Genesis 3, verse 6. It looked so good to Adam and Eve. And the devil says to Jesus, Look at the kingdoms of the world. It can all be yours. Except you have to recognize my supremacy. Lust of the eyes. Didn't work. And Genesis 3, verse 6 goes on to say, And when she saw that the tree was desirable to make one wise. Prideful lust. Unfortunately, the text continues in Genesis. Then she took. some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was there with her. Adam isn't off the hook. He's right there. And he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened. And you know the tragic results. From the Garden of Eden on, the devil's strategy always seemed to work. Even among some of the, some of the leading figures in the Old Testament, remember Noah? He's delivered from a disastrous flood, and with the first crop of grapes, he makes strong drink, and he celebrates by getting drunk. Lust of the flesh. It worked for the devil with Noah. It didn't work with Jesus. Think of David. David, you see, who, who saw Bathsheba, who looked so good. Taking a bath down the hill on the flat roof of her house. And he succumbed to that temptation with disastrous results. The death of Bathsheba's husband and disaster in David's family. And David, remember, he numbered the people to see how big an army he could raise, how powerful he was. Prideful lust. The devil seemed to always have his own way until he met Jesus. You see, Jesus prevailed. Jesus stood the devil's temptation. 
and where everyone else fails, Christ prevails. And that's why you can too, not in your own strength. We are not equal to the devil's temptation in our lives. But we are if we lean on Jesus. So love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. For everything that's in the world, all these three, will fade away, says John in chapter 2, verse 16. But they who do the will of my heavenly Father will live, not just exist, live victoriously forever. Where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus prevailed. Let us pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for Christ's victory and that in him we see our victory too because he's more than a match for the devil's temptation. Help us, Lord, to live those, that triumphant life that you want us to live, serving you with joy and standing fast when we know that our faith is challenged. In Jesus' name and power we pray. Amen.